Morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Um, tonight, at our evening service at 5 o'clock, uh, we'll have Carter Allen speaking tonight. He's been here before. He's a young kid. He'll, uh, <clears throat> he's a student at Heritage. Uh, he'll end up being a youth minister somewhere in this area, so we'll come hear him speak tonight. Um, and last week, uh, last week we kind of ended our series on, on the lessons from Paul, on the, on the Pauline epistles. And this week we're not really starting a new series, but I, wanna, I just want to look at a few scriptures that have been on my mind lately. Um, and normally I like to find kind of new or unique sections of the Bible that maybe we're not as familiar with. Or, or maybe try to take a, a passage that maybe we are familiar with and look at it in kind of a new way. That's usually kind of, I always like to do something a little different and mix it up. But uh, this morning... I kind of want to go back to the, the basics a little bit. I, want, I mean, not the fundamentals. Because I want to ask, what is our foundation? And uh, the, the scriptures we're going to read are, are probably scriptures we've heard before. And they're, the lessons from them are simple to hear, but I would say hard to do. Like many things, like most things in the Bible, it's, it's simple, but sometimes hard to live out. But I think it's important to study the, the fundamentals. Um, just want you to know, originally I had a sports analogy in there, but my wife insisted no one would understand it. So we'll just move on talking about the fundamentals. <laughs> Especially with the draft. Just one job, y'all were close. But anyway. So, we talk about the basics. To me, uh, the teachings of Jesus, right? You can't get more central to the Christian faith than the teachings of Jesus. And in terms of all of his teachings, one of the critical points of that is in the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we'll be this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to Matthew 7. Uh, we'll look at a few different scriptures, but we'll start in Matthew 7. The Sermon on the Mount is, of course, uh, the name given to one of Jesus' longest, most well-known discourses. He talks about a, a very wide variety of topics that we could not even begin to cover in one sitting. But all these topics have immediate, like immediate, easy-to-understand, surface-level application to the people who are listening. But what makes his teaching so powerful at least to me, is he kind of had this amazing way of the teaching being accessible and important to those who, who didn't know God, but also to have a deeper symbolic meaning to the, to the more studied, the, the, really the Israelites or the Jews that he was really trying to reach, the more studied, well-educated scholars of the law. And it's one of the reasons I love looking at these passages, that no, no matter how many times I read it, I feel like I can always squeeze a little bit more out of it. So this morning we'll be looking at, as I said, a couple different sections uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, but we'll start in Matthew 7. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 21, where Jesus is speaking to the crowds. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons? In your name and do mighty works in your name. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mentioned these scriptures have been on my mind lately. And this is one that always sticks with me when I read it. Because really, I, I kind of find this to be one of the scarier verses in the New Testament. Um, of all the things that, that Jesus says, this is one that always kind of, to, to be honest, when I read it, it kind of scares me. I mean, if nothing else, for starters, Jesus is telling us that some people, when Judgment Day comes, some people will be surprised. And that's scary to think about. 
Um, I mean, I, I don't know about y'all, but I don't, I don't like surprises, like at all. And you can ask my wife this. I don't even like surprise birthday parties. I've never had a surprise birthday party. Lord willing, I will never have a surprise birthday party. I don't like surprises. I'm, mostly I don't like surprises because I'm hard to plan for and I'm very picky. So I, I know that's my own fault, but I, I just don't. I like things a certain way. I don't like them this way. I like, you know, I just I don't like surprises. Sometimes we go on long road trips, and I'm, I'm pretty flexible in those kind of situations. Like if we're taking a multi-day kind of travel thing, and we stay a little bit longer here instead of there, I don't, I don't get riled up about that. Uh, but whenever we get to where we're staying for the night, like whether it's a cabin or it's an Airbnb or hotel, that's where you don't want unexpected stuff to pop up. If you've ever been at the registration desk of a hotel, especially if you've ever had like a large group or a youth group event, and you show up and the guy looks surprised that you're there, that is never a good thing. It is ra- rarely do surprises lead to good things in my experience. So as I said, I don't like surprises. But even if you do like surprises, I cannot think of anything in the world I would want to be less surprised by than where I am spending the rest of eternity. Especially because I don't think there will be very many surprises in heaven. I don't think anybody's wandering around the afterlife and just was like, oh, I didn't even know this was here. This must be new. I don't think there'll be any surprises in heaven. But Jesus tells us there will definitely be surprises in the other place. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Scary to think about. But thankfully, right there in the same text, Jesus does give us a solution. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but... The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And this is the part where I say I think it's simple to hear and simple to read, but very hard to do. Jesus makes it sound very simple. He says, the one who does the will of my Father. And maybe it is simple. I think we're the ones that sometimes can overcomplicate it. To be honest, I think sometimes when we ask questions of the Word of God, we're the ones who kind of add layers of complications. Like, what if I do this, but I don't do this? Or what if, I, what if I'm really good at this teaching and I really know this teaching, but I kind of ignore that stuff over there that makes me uncomfortable and I don't know what to do with it? Or, and maybe we've heard this before, what if I'm just a good person? Say I don't really go to church because church isn't for me. You know, I don't, I don't know about it. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't really understand the whole prayer thing. And I don't, I don't read my Bible a lot because I just I don't have the time. You know, or, and I mean, it's, it's just a bunch of, of good stories anyway, right? And isn't that the point? You just, they're good stories that you tell your kids to basically tell them to be good people. To a lot of people, I think being a Christian means just being a good person. And yes, I think part of being a Christian means being a good person. But to be a Christian, to follow Christ, means to do the will of the Father who is in heaven. I think one of the biggest things people get wrong, and, and really when I say people, I think sometimes even Christians get wrong, is that heaven is just full of good people. And again, don't get me wrong, I, I, I firmly believe all Christians should be good people. But not all good people, or someone who would call themselves a good person, not all those people follow Christ. Not all those people do, as Jesus says, the will of the Father. For some reason, when we start talking about real, scriptural, biblical salvation, people, even people who call themselves Christians, will get uncomfortable 
uh, with these kind of teachings because typically uh, we like to think that, that what we're doing, what we see most people doing, and I don't just mean the church. I mean, when we, when we look at most people in the world, we like to think that what most people are doing is fine, that it's okay. That's why we get uncomfortable when we start talking about real and biblical salvation, I think. So if we look at what Jesus has to say about that, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father. And look just, early, just a little earlier in the same chapter in Matthew 7. Look up at verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus makes it very clear that what most people are doing when we look around the world and we look at what most people are doing, what most people are doing is not going to cut it. That this idea of, of being a good person, especially when I'm judging the quality of my own actions and I'm the one judging the morality of my actions, uh, to call myself or think of myself as a good person is not enough. And that when Judgment Day comes, there will be people who think they're okay, who think they're right with God, but they're not. As I said, it's scary. It's not enough to think we're okay. It's not enough to think that we're a good person, but we have to be in this group that Jesus identifies as doing the will of the Father. I don't know why, but for, for some reason, whenever we at least in my experience, when I'm trying to share the Bible with somebody or I'm talking to somebody and we're studying and we start getting into this kind of stuff and we start trying to you know, teach what we think is right and what we understand to be correct in, in terms of in alignment with God's word, one of the, one of the quick barriers and defenses people put up is, so, so you're, you're telling me all these other people are just wrong. Right? We hear that a lot, especially, I think, within our brotherhood. You're, you're telling me all the people who didn't believe in God or all those people who believe in like a different version of God, or maybe even multiple gods, you're telling me just all those people are wrong. People get real caught up in everybody else. And the truth is, I'm, that's not for me to judge. I'm not the judge. I'm, I'm glad I'm not. That's not my responsibility. That's not my uh, purpose. And I don't know. I don't know about everybody else. When people ask that, I don't know about everybody else. I don't know about all those other people. But I do know for me, for you, for us, we do have to obey the will of God. Whenever I was growing up, uh, whenever I, as a kid, whenever I got to see other kids doing stuff that my parents didn't let me do, you know, we'd always go and be like, well, everybody else gets to go to the store, get the movies, the whatever, why can't we do it? And uh, my mom would always say the same thing. She'd say, well, you know what? I'm not everybody else's mom. I don't care what everybody else does. I'm your mom. I care what you do. And I think in a sense, we have to have this attitude when we begin to talk about salvation with somebody, if we care about that individual and they're, and they're quick to kind of make it about everybody else or they're quick to get defensive or, or throw out what ifs and what if this and what about that and what about those people, we got to tell them, I don't, I don't know about everybody else. I don't, I'm not concerned about everybody else. Right now, if we're talking about your salvation, I'm concerned about you. Because those, those people that we kind of hypothetically talk about, those people who, who talk about the Bible as if it's just a, a good book full of old stories, and those people who believe that heaven is just for good people and hell is just for bad people, and that's all there really is to it, 
if we care about those people, as we should, we need to be willing to, to keep talking to them, to get through to them, to keep sharing the gospel with them. To point to the scriptures and say, yes, I know God. Yes, I love God. And yes, God has instructions for my life that I obey. I obey his will because I love him. And when that person asks, so what about everybody else? When they get defensive or distracted and they say, what, is everybody else just wrong? And tell them, I don't, I don't know about everybody else. But I do know that, that what God tells us is right. And he warns us that the people who are doing what is right, and, and not just the people who think they're right, but the people who are actually doing it, people who are actually doing the will of God in accordance with his word, those people, when we start talking about what about everybody else, he tells us that those people will be few and far between, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that's just the hard reality of the world we live in. The human condition, you could call it. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. So we talk about something as foundational and basic as doing the will of God. I have just one more passage I want us to look at this morning. Flip over to Luke 6. Luke 6, 6 also uh, is still talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Just a, a couple different details. <clears throat> There's a segment in Luke that I want us to look at as we talk about doing the will of God and how critical that is to, to not just salvation and not just our eternal life and the next life, but it's, it's important to this life too. And I don't want us to miss that. It's important to today. So read with me. Uh, we'll start in Luke chapter 6, and we'll be reading from verse 46. towards the very end of the chapter, Luke 6. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I don't know if this song made it over to this part of Alabama, but when I grew up in VBS, we had a song that we sang. And it was, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And, you know, the rains came down and the floods came up, but anyway, I won't sing the whole song. I'll let you endure that. But when the rains came down and the floods came up, in the VBS song, The Foolish Man's House Went Splat. The wise man builds his house on the rock, and he is not shaken. It is important that we're not scared of Judgment Day. When we talk about that, when we think about it, when we read about it. And part of when we talk about doing the will of God, part of doing the will of God is actually making sure others are sure of their Judgment Day too. I firmly believe that if we are as convicted about this truth as we say we are, that, that if we believe and we do the will of God, we'll spend eternity with him. And if we don't, they spend eternity separated from him. If we believe that. 
then really nothing should hold us back from at least trying or at least being willing to share that truth with other people. Because their eternity matters. And as I said, that truth has meaning for this life, not just the next life, but, but this life as well. Christ tells us that when we, when we hear and obey his words and his will for our life, that we're building our house on a rock and that that house will not be shaken. It, as Todd read for this morning in James 1, when the, when the storms of life come against your house, rejoice in those trials because they will produce steadfastness. The truth has meaning in this life too. And, and honestly, I, I feel really, really sad for people who, who endure loss of loved ones, divorce, can, diagnosis of cancer or medical diagnosis that are hard to bear, parents who lose children. I, I feel great sadness for anybody who goes through that, but so much more so for those who endure those hardships, those storms of life that don't share our faith. I, I, I don't understand how people get through that without their faith, to be honest. Because life will have tragedy and will have hardships. And, and people who don't have that same faith, they turn to different things. And the truth is, those other things of the world, they don't work. They're sand. I can tell y'all, when, when we talk about building this foundation and laying the foundation and how important that is, I can tell y'all there's at least, I think of at least two distinct times in my life where I feel like I was faced with a very clear choice where I felt like I was just at a, a really low point. I was very emotionally compromised because of some stuff that was going on. And I had this choice to continue going down the life that I was in, or I could do something different. And both times, I assure you, I very much wanted to keep going down this path that was over here. But when I came to that fork in the road, both times, it was my faith that had been stilled on my heart, that had been the seeds that had been planted by people, by parents, by grandparents, by youth ministers, elders, church members. It was that faith that really pushed me down the right path. People had laid a foundation for me. They had helped me lay a foundation that stood firm. And I wonder often what my life would be like if that was not the case. When we are struck with tragedy and hardship... I promise you, the world, the, there's a lot of things in the world that will try to make you get through it. That'll make you feel good enough to get through it. That'll feel like you can rely on those things. It'll make you happy, at least for a time. The truth is, those things, those distractions, they're building your house on sand. And when the storms of life rage against your house... It will not stand. Jesus says, build your life around me, build your life around what I teach you, and you will be building your house on a firm foundation. When the storms of life hit, turn to me and you will stand. Started off this morning talking about how this is just the basics, or the, the, the fundamentals. Well, another word for that is, of course, the foundation. The, the base of what we do as Christians, of our work, of who we are, of, of what we do in the world. And simply by being here, by studying a portion of God's word, we're building that firm foundation. But when we leave here, we have to keep building. We've got to keep building outside the building. 
if you will. But we've got to keep working on this foundation so that, again, our house will stand. And I think that's important because when people see how we endure, it's not just important for ourselves, but when other people see how we endure and they see how we live and they see the foundation that our lives are grounded in, I think that makes people want to know what we have. It makes people want to know what sets us apart, what makes us different. They want to see what our lives are grounded in. They, and I think at that point, the work of evangelism kind of begins to do itself. And then, not only can we be sure that our house will stand, but when we have begun to help others lay their foundation and build their house and ensure that their house will stand, then we're doing the will of God. When we talk about doing the will of the Father, then we're really doing the will of the Father. And we've moved from being certain and being sure of our own personal salvation, but also helping others find their salvation. Helping others walk along, as Jesus says, the narrow path, building that firm foundation so that they are not shaken. Then, I think really then, we can be certain that when the time comes, we're doing the will of the Father. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us it is the will of God that, that none should perish, but that all may come to repentance. If you are seeking that repentance, if you are struggling, if you need to turn from where you are in life, or you, you need the help of the church in any way, now is the time. We ask that you come forward while we stand and while we sing.